I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Google Cureleaf PA or stop by one of our 18 locations across the Commonwealth. This is the Blue White Breakdown, the premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture. It's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts. Bob Flounders and David Jones. All right, Penn State fans, blue-white breakdown time. It's Wednesday, January 18th. Bob Flounders, Dave Jones. Dave is back safe and sound from Los Angeles. A couple interesting things to get to uh, in this show. We're going to talk a little bit about Taylor Stubblefield's time at Penn State. We're going to talk about the NFL playoffs and the Penn Staters, the prominent Penn Staters, that could shape this divisional playoff weekend. There's at least three of them. And maybe at the end, Dave, if there's time, we could talk a little bit about Penn State's hoops. I know they just lost a tough one to Wisconsin. We can maybe get into that. but Brutal, brutal, brutal. Yeah. How are you holding up? Did you make it? You, you made it back in one piece. Everything's good? It was, it was very painless considering we flew southwest. That could have gone the other way very easily. But uh, as always, direct flights, baby. You don't get stuck in St. Louis or... Atlanta. Yeah, that Atlanta's a really popular one. Chicago's a big one. I think Indianapolis is one. Yeah, those are the connection hubs that you you want to avoid at all costs. So it's a joy. It's a I wish I wish Southwest the best of luck in staying afloat after what happened the last month. We'll see how that plays out. And we had a very chatty flight attendant who was annoying as hell. You know, one of those guys who tries, you know, the people who try to be funny that aren't funny. You know, a lot of times Southwest has funny flight attendants and they're, they're jocular and they, the people laugh. Well, this guy just wasn't funny and everyone just wanted him to shut up. Also, also the back of the cabin of the plane was like 80 degrees. So otherwise, <laughs> it was, it was, Anna was up front and she had no problem at all. She slept through the whole thing. It was a nice, cool 71 up there. Nick and I were dying but you know that's what happened so dave uh penn state is as we as we uh record this penn state is still uh has not announced the uh replacement for taylor stubblefield who was abruptly dismissed uh on sunday by james franklin pretty terse statement if if we all took a a look at it it's pretty clear wasn't it brusque terse is the word you don't usually see that from old, old james franklin so uh, we could speculate all we want about what happened. I don't know how much James is going to go into it, but the weird thing was, Dave, maybe a half an hour after they had made the announcement, they added a wide receiver uh, in the transfer portal and a pretty good one. So what do you make of that? There's a lot to make of this. Uh, the timing of it, you know, the fact that it was hard to see it coming. But then again, you know, James Franklin is a calculating guy. When I mean calculating He's not gonna. He's not gonna cut ties with someone if he doesn't have someone. I think lined up to replace Stubblefield. But I also think that 
for James to do this. I think he was probably I don't I don't think he was thrilled with uh, some some things that must have happened. I was just looking at Taylor Stubblefield's resume, and I think we talked about this when they hired him. Just a great college player at Purdue, but if you look at his resume. Penn State was the longest stop he's ever had. He's he's never been anywhere more than two years. He lasted three at Penn State. Um, he was also, I think, the offensive recruiting coordinator. I'm looking at the bio right now. And what that basically means is he's – I don't know what that title is. I think you get more money when you're the offensive recruiting coordinator. Well, it's, yeah, it's a title. And also, you, you've got to – I think it's your, your viewpoint and everyone's basic viewpoint is that he developed the players he had pretty well – you got Parker Washington and Jahan Dotson, who are all league, who were pretty good players, who got better each year. He stabilized that spot on the coaching staff. I uh, was there longer than anyone else. I mean, they had four in four years at one point, but he didn't get a, enough guys from the portal. He, he didn't recruit all that well as far as volume recruiting. And what you're comparing him to is Brian Hartline at Ohio State, who is at a level who has just kept running guys in there one after another. And even if they lose to Jackson Smith and Jigba, all of a sudden, <laughs> here comes Harrison. You know, and, and Fleming can't even get a lot of run. I mean, he, he gets playing time, but he's not exactly a star. And they've got, they've got him piled up uh, for, for years. So this is what I think. And I'm speculating because everyone is, so why shouldn't I? <laughs> Brian Hartline, if you noticed – got a promotion last week to an OC. I think it was one of the things that Ryan Day pretty much had to do in order to keep him. Uh, he dumped Kevin Wilson, who was at one point was an innovator in this business. I mean, Kevin Wilson never gets the credit he deserves, along with Rich Rodriguez, of really developing the, 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 the read option, zone option, a spread option offense uh, in the late 90s. Around 2000, Kevin Wilson was the offensive coordinator um, at Northwestern when they all of a sudden really sprung that offense on college football. Nobody was ready for it. But everyone's time and cycle comes to an end, and I, th I don't think Kevin was deemed all that valuable to Ryan Day. Ryan Day is essentially the OC himself, so why not give Brian Hartline, who's a very valuable guy, a title of OC? Now, could James Franklin have done that? with uh, Taylor Stubblefield, and would he be worth it? Well, you you can't say he's worth it if you can't recruit, man. I mean, he can't recruit it at the same kind of level. That's what Franklin wants to do. He wants Penn State to be at a personnel level equal to Ohio State and Michigan. And at wide receiver, they haven't quite been there. They've developed the guys they've had pretty well. You could say that Wallace really hasn't developed as well uh, as quickly as maybe you would agree with that as some expected, right? Uh, so I think he was. This was his second year. He redshirted last year, but um, even 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 then, Dave, like he he still might end up being a really good player. Uh, I don't know that he was a player that coming out of high school everyone was after. You know what I mean? They got him from I think the South, but um, I think what you're saying is makes makes some sense i think that you could certainly make a case that you're on to something the two the two players that he developed he didn't recruit right he got there dotson was already there and i think parker was probably recruited by somebody else uh at least at the start because he didn't i mean stubblefield wasn't there until 2020 you start re recruiting these kids a couple years in advance so since that time 
when you look at the people that they've brought on campus, I don't know that there's a wow guy. And maybe there is, maybe there is, I think, something to that, especially if you have the title of offensive recruiting coordinator. You know how much James values recruiting. And some of the assistants on the staff that had good years this year, like Phil Troutwine, you know, there were probably some questions about him as a as a developer, but he was getting good kids to come to Penn State. You know what I mean? So I think James could at least see the value in giving Phil the benefit of the doubt until he had a little bit more success. And then he did. So the other, the flip side of this coin is that there's such money to be made for assistants if they can just step up a notch in the pecking order. The difference between position coach and coordinator is you triple your salary a lot of times, at least double it. That's what everyone's looking for. And if you're a coordinator and you succeed as a coordinator, you can triple your salary again to become a head coach, even of a lower mid-major. And everyone is looking at the money being thrown around, and they're demanding this. I mean, Josh Gaddis wanted to, to be promoted Five years ago, he was not. Ricky Ronnie was given the OC job. Was Josh ready to be the OC? I doubt it. Um, he's still an OC. All these guys want to further their careers. It's a big job-hopping mess. People talk about the transfer portal. What, what about the stability in coaching staffs? No one talks about that. And it's a mess because of this. So I wouldn't doubt that Taylor Stubblefield wanted at least a gesture toward promotion. He probably thought he did a better job than James Franklin thought he did. Like I said, this is all speculation, but it happened so abruptly, it does look like there was a disagreement, a chasm between those two, and something came to loggerheads, and they said, okay, sayonara, and that would be my guess. Yeah. Just real quick, the last dozen years, here's Taylor's resume. One year at Central Michigan, 2011. One year at New Mexico, 2012. One year at Wake, 2013. Two years at Utah, 14 and 15. One year with the Toronto Argonauts, 2016. Two years at Air Force, not exactly a place known for developing uh, wide receivers. And then 2019, he was at Miami for one season. And then, you know, the last three years at Penn State. So he's a guy that's moved around a lot. And he's usually just been, I think, the receiver's coach. So I wonder where he'll go next. And I'm I'm even curious. What, I'm sure I cannot wait to see who James has lined up. A lot of Penn State fans were hoping it would be you Bobby You know who Ingram. a lot of people want, yes. Yeah, yes. Bobby Ingram, right? An all-time great Penn State player. We'll see how that plays out. I think the recruiting component is almost as impo- important, David, or more than the development component because – uh, I think it's a lot. It's a lot easier to coach good players than it is to try and develop players that need work. Who do you think of when you think of recruiting and not necessarily winning? I think you think of, and these are the guys making headway in college football right now. The rationale is, well, if you got the groceries, we can make something out of it. The A and M coach, I would say, is probably one of those guys at the moment. Yeah, he's, he, he he comes to mind. Uh, I always think of Barry Switzer when he was at OU. You know, he just got <laughs> athletes in there, man. And I don't know how much developing was going on, but uh, he was looking for each of them to make one or two big plays a game, and they would almost always win. Yeah, I think of Jimbo Fisher, and I think of Les Miles and guys like <laughs> that. Right now in the Big Ten, Mike Loxley. That's taken hold, that rationale that, okay, well, we just get talent. We'll be able to figure it out. Stubblefield was kind of the, the complete opposite of that. His guys caught the ball. 
I don't think you've we've had a, a stage during James Franklin's tenure other than that one year in 16 where guys caught so many balls. They caught a lot of, especially Washington and Dotson, a lot of contested catches. They did very well catching the ball. They didn't necessarily get open all that well as a group, but they caught the damn ball. So functionally, they were certainly coached well. I think the, the whole thing was about the portal and recruiting. Yeah, this again. This is just, we're we're just kind of speculating, but I, I as when you see a guy move around that much, and you see how much James values recruiting when you when you're starting to keep pace with the Ohio States and Michigans, it certainly makes a lot of sense. So we'll see who who the who's next up at wide receiver coach. At a, I don't want to say it's a curse to be the wide receiver coach at Penn State, but you're right, Dave. It's just it's been a lot of turnover there. There's a lot of turnover at, at, at different positions, but yeah, it just seems like. Ever since Gaddis left, uh, he was there. Right? He came from Vanderbilt with James, and he's gone on to become an OC. Ever since he left, though, it's been a little bit of a struggle for them to find a wideouts coach. Bobby Ingram, did you notice anything great about uh, Wisconsin's? Uh... Well, I mean, you have to kind of wonder was that was that him not developing guys, or was that just that is that just their style of play? And you know, I, I mean, he was also the play caller, wasn't he? Wasn't he the OC? You you would think there would be some. Oh, he doesn't have that much experience. So this is this is all about the Penn State people wanting a Penn State guy. Of course, yeah, that's yeah. the way I look at it. And yeah, that's the wrong way to. It's one thing if you're getting Terry Smith. It's another thing who had a lot of experience before he came. Bobby Ingram, I'm not sure if that's what you want. You just want a guy who can who can really recruit, and that's what they're missing. So we'll see. This is the Blue-White Breakdown. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Everyone's journey is different, and we are honored to guide you to the best relationship with this incredible plant. Have questions? Google Cureleaf PA or stop by one of our 18 locations across the Commonwealth. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Dave, let's turn our attention to the playoffs real quick. Divisional playoffs. You live not far from a uh, crazy fan base. I don't know if you are smack dab in Eagles country. If not, you're close. They're playing the Giants Saturday night at home, and I think it's a very interesting game for a number of reasons. Were you surprised at Daniel Jones? I didn't expect that out of him on the road, and I think it changes everything. It does, and it well, I would say it does, but... Uh, I have I, I just have not been a fan of Minnesota all season. I just think that they were 13 and four with fewer points scored than allowed. Did I get that right? It was something like their point <laughs> differential did not match 
their record at all. Um, how does that even happen? I don't understand how that happens. That is correct, right? I know the Giants coach is a really, really good coach, but I just think the two the two things that fascinate me about the Eagles game, the reason I'm bringing it up is two of the more talented runners to play at Penn State in the last 20 years are going to be centerpieces, Miles Sanders for the Eagles and Saquon Barkley, who is being used more and more like Christian McCaffrey out in San Francisco, where, yeah, he's he's running the ball, but they're also using him as a receiver. And, Dave, we saw it at Penn State. He was almost more dangerous at times as a receiver on wheel routes. And in, in if you can get him in space, you were not you were not going to catch this guy. I think the Giants have figured out how to maximize Barkley. It's not run him 30 times. It's throw it to him 10 and run him 15. And I'm just curious between that and Jalen Hurts being rusty, how this game's going to play out. I haven't seen Saquon Barkley look this healthy in a long time. Would you agree with that too? Yes. When he's running inside – He's running like a cannon shot in there, and he looks totally unafraid. I, I, I didn't think he was healthy completely until this year. The, the injury he had took him two years, I think, to rehab. Uh, both he and Miles Sanders had really good seasons. I, I believe Miles Sanders had his best season. Is that correct? Yeah, he did. He did. He did in spite of the fact that Hertz ran the ball a lot, but there was they, they were such a talented offense that you couldn't key on anyone. So – I think that, and with that offensive line, I really think that all, I think all of it helped Miles. Daniel Jones' confidence in that Minnesota game just was kind of striking to me. He's kind of like uh, uh, Sean Clifford in a way, and that he's been bashed and doubted for most of his tenure with the Giants. A lot of people didn't like the draft in the first place out of Duke. Uh, he's the David Cutcliffe kid who you know knows what he's doing out there. Uh, it's just that the the NFL game is so much faster, and the guys who hit you are so much more dangerous. Some guys can never make that leap, even if they know what they're doing. Would you agree with that as far as Daniel Jones? And he never had a really good offensive line. He still doesn't have a great offensive line. But he's making split-second des- decisions very quickly now. I think he's a standard quarterback. I think they they have used Jalen Hurts as a runner too much. He's taken what three weeks off now. He might be a little rusty. Yeah, even, yeah. It's the Chicago of all people. Chicago's. It was the Chicago game where he got hurt, and that's got to be. There's got to be more to it than just a sprain. The question is, having all this time off, how much better does he actually feel? And what happens, Dave? What happens when he gets hit on that shoulder? Everyone thought it was a a movement, and you would you would say Kyler Murray, uh, Lamar Jackson. Jalen Hurts, all these mobile quarterbacks that, yeah, they can run 10 or 15 times a game. Can they? I don't think they can. They all got hurt. They all have a limit. These are big, fast bodies hitting them. I just, I, I, I remain convinced that, the, that they, not just the NFL, but college quarterbacks, you need them to, you want them to be mobile. But man, if you have more than six or eight planned runs a game, you're just asking for trouble, but especially in the NFL. So Daniel Jones, while he used his legs and he's faster than you think, he wasn't looking to use his legs. They did have a couple planned runs in Minneapolis that worked really well, but he got a he 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 put his body at risk, which he probably shouldn't have done a couple times. But he's not like Jalen Hurts, where you really depend on him to do that 
to move the entire offense. Their, their offense isn't of the level of the Eagles anyway, but I think the Eagles are more dependent on Jalen Hurts' dynamicism and ex- explosiveness than people think. That's, that's my opinion. It's yours. I just think, Dave, I, I don't know if you remember, but it was like three or four years ago. The, the moment that really uh, Daniel Jones got the most crap about was he was playing at the link and he tripped over the one yard line. Remember, he was going to score. He was he was in front of everyone. and He just fell over at the two yard line. It would have been like an 80 yard touchdown. I just think there's some irony there if he would come back into the link and just dash the hopes. of the Eagles. <laughs> I think it's going to be a tight game. I just don't know that the Eagles are such a talented team, but they really haven't really been asked to put their, their foot on the gas for a while. I mean, I, I you wonder about the time off. And you wonder about Jalen, but you also wonder about uh, the Giants. That offense with Barkley healthy, with a mobile quarterback, the two receivers catch everything on the outside. Those two receivers are, pr- are pretty good, you know? I do think it's a divisional game. They know each other well. I know the Eagles waxed them once in, uh, in the Meadowlands, and I don't think Daniel Jones played late in the season, and neither did Hurts. But I think this could be a pretty interesting game, and I do think – both Penn State kids, Sanders and Barkley, are going to play huge roles. If, if Barkley isn't the best, Dave, if Barkley isn't the best former Penn Stater in the NFL, you know who is the best former Penn Stater in the NFL, and he's going to go up against the Niners on Sunday. Oh, well, I'm not done with this yet. I'm not done with this, this game. Okay. I, think, I just have a feeling Saquon Barkley is really primed, healthy, and really ready, and I think he's going to make a difference in this game, one way or another. To me, this game reminds me, the feeling around Philadelphia reminds me of when they played the Buccaneers and the Panthers. It's a rough memories, David. <laughs> and you remember what happened in those. Yeah, Everyone was like, we got this, we're at home. And half the, like three, three-fourths of the fan base, and then the other fourth, is always waiting for the sky to fall and how it's going to happen. That's what the attitude around here reminds me of. And I'm just, you have a very unique situation here because you're a Cowboys fan in the division. Who are you pulling for? You can be honest. Go ahead and say. I mean, I think the Eagles are clearly more talented than the Giants, but the way that the Giants are playing, I just think they're, I think they can kind of, go toe-to-toe with most teams, and I think that's a dangerous team in the playoffs because the longer they hang around, the more nervous the uh, the other team gets. But yeah, but come on. You'll take them over the Eagles against the Cowboys, right? You would rather have the Giants. For, for sure. Dallas played them twice. They were two pretty good games. I think the thing that would give me pause if I was an Eagles fan is they just really haven't been asked to do all that much for the last month of the season, and I think sometimes that could kind of – you can't really afford to start too slow in a playoff game. You, it really, it, it starts to work against you. And you're you're playing a team with a mobile quarterback and a running back who can run and catch, and they can extend drives, and they can also keep the ball away from Philadelphia a little bit. All right, back to your uh, Cowboys 49ers game. Micah. The, the 49ers are a really good defensive team. I mean, this is going to be a head-cracking, ass-kicking collision of – some pretty good defensive players. This is going to be old-time NFL football. And Brock Purdy better strap it on because he's <laughs> going to have – and I like him. I mean, I've, I, I, he had a really good college coach at Iowa State, and he's well-schooled. He, he's, he's a functional quarterback, and I think he's good enough to get them to the Super Bowl. But he's going to have to go through Micah Parsons here, 
and a pretty good Dallas defense. It also harkens back to all those, the old days of all those playoff games they used to play against each other, the 49ers and Dallas, and Dallas would go in there and beat John Brody. They beat him a couple times. <laughs> I don't know that many fans are really, they're probably thinking about the Jerry Rice games, but you're right. John Brody, I got you. I got you. John Brody went 0 for 3. There, there were a lot of Western Conference games in the old NFL that ended up in, in, in Kizar Stadium where the stick. And then they finally got to the catch game. And that was when the 49ers in 1981 finally, finally beat the Cowboys. But all of that history is there. I don't think any of these kids have any idea any of that happened, even the catch. But there's a lot of history. As somebody, Dave, who's watched the Cowboys play all year, that was not only arguably Dak Prescott's best game on Monday night. He is very good, but he rarely plays a clean game. And by that, he could he could he could complete his first 12 passes and then he could throw two pick sixes in three attempts. And you're just like, as a Cowboys fan, you're like, what happened to the guy that was white hot for two quarters? Um, so he's definitely gonna have to play uh one of his best games on the West Coast. Also, Kyle Shanahan's gonna scheme up. Uh, the Dallas defense a little bit. I know I know Brock Purdy's worried about Micah, but they have so many weapons between, you know, between McCaffrey, between, you know, between George Kittle. They have Debo, who can impact the game in so many different ways. Ayuk, they have a pretty good offensive line. That's why I'm saying I think I think they're I think they're really gonna come at Purdy, don't you? If they can hit him a couple times, they can disrupt everything. Because you have to. They're gonna have to get the Niners in third and long somehow. There were a couple times in the Seattle game where you saw him be forced to play from the pocket and he was running for his life. He was running the wrong way to the left. He didn't know how to throw the ball away. But for a large part of the time he's been the quarterback, the offense has been on schedule. They've been in like second and five or third and one, and that's when Kyle Shanahan thrives. But they're going to have to get him in third and seven or third and eight a couple of times because otherwise, if he's comfortable – he doesn't make very many mistakes. So we'll see how that goes. But I also want to see if – my sense is that the Cowboys can score on the Niners, but I don't know that their defense can hold back the Niners' offense because they just have so many weapons. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's one thing to do it to a, an, an elderly Tom Brady. and He looked awful, by the way. He looked like he was ready to go. Yeah, that broken Buccaneers offense. It's one thing to do it there and then do it against the 49ers, even with Brock Purdy, a quarterback. I would certainly take that attack over over what I think we're reading way too much into this this Cowboys win, even though it was overwhelming and on the road, because I just don't think the Buccaneers Nobody are overreacts like the Cowboys after a win on the road. Nobody. Trust me. Jerry Trust Jones. Me. How many how many shots of Jerry Jones did we need in the luxury box, by the way? Was that enough? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. We'll see. Hey, Dave, real quick on this before we close this out, you're just your thoughts on Micah, Sh- Micah and the and not Micah Parsons, Micah Shrewsbury, the men's basketball team. They lost a tough one at Wisconsin. Where are you at with them? How many Micahs is too many Micahs? That's my question. It, it was a, a really crappy loss, a bad loss in a lot of ways because Wisconsin, I just got a phone with Mike DeCourcy and I've been talking to Jerry Palm and I will talk to Joe Lenardi. Everyone's got Penn State in right now, but they're barely in. They're on the bubble, and you can't pass up an opportunity, or as James Franklin would call it, an opportunity 
uh, at a road win like that against a a kind of injured and hobbled Wisconsin, their best player, Tyler Wall, just came back last night. He was probably at about 80 percent. And they just pissed it away, man. That was a, that was a, a win that was there for the taking. They lose 63-60 on the heels of just beating the living crap out of Indiana uh, the game before in State College, 85-66. to To illustrate how topsy-turvy the Big Ten is, that same Wisconsin team went out to Indiana their next game and, and got Boat race, sixty-five to forty-three. I think scored forty-three points in Indiana, but they come back to Madison and make it this this taffy pull of a game like they always do. And, and Penn State cannot lose a game like that where they have an, a real opportunity for a resume builder on the road. And they had shots. You can't blame the officials. They had shots at the end of the game to pull it out, and they just they had good shots, and they just missed them. Jalen Pickett is doing too much. They need to get everyone else more involved, and they get they need to get everyone else a little more consistent. Uh, Big Ten officiating is having a bad year, but you can't say that they made a difference in that game. Seth Lundy had three fouls right at the outset of the second half, four fouls with six minutes to go. He ended up with two points after hitting 25 against Indiana. Too inconsistent. Andrew Funk had a couple of open shots, man at the end of the game, and and so did uh, Cameron Winter, and they just did not make them. They need guys to help out Jalen Pickett, who is having a first-team All-America season, Bob. He, I think he's the best point guard in Ooh. college basketball. He's rated number five player in the nation of all players by Ken Palm, which does is all analytics-based, but still – that's incredible. He's the second best player in the Big Ten behind Zach Eady. Is he a first-round talent, Dave? No, because he's not. he doesn't have the explosiveness that you want. I'll give you, a, for instance, what they need is somebody uh, like De'Aaron Fox, at, who's, who's blowing up with Sacramento this year with the Kings. He's, got, he's scoring 24 points a game. Jalen's offense, Jalen's game is kind of an old man YMCA game. I, I compare him all the time to Earl Monroe, but he doesn't know who Earl Monroe is. But Black Jesus, remember how he get the ball back with the bullets, like the 71 bullets that he took to the NBA Finals? And he gets you on your hip and does this and then swivels and back the other way. It's just like Earl Monroe. It's, it's, you have to be old to understand that. But there's nobody who can guard him. He's a post-up guard in the post that you don't you don't have any answer for. There's one kid who's really defended him effectively all season. It was the kid at uh, Clemson, and they lost a double overtime game at Clemson. That's probably going to hurt him anyway. Anyway, they're three and four in the Big Ten. They're twelve and six overall. They're uh, around fifty some in the net, uh, thirty six in Ken Palm. They're smack on the bubble. Uh, Jerry Palm has a ninth uh, as a nine seed. Joe Lenardi is an 11. Mike DeCourcy is a 10, but that was before this Wisconsin loss. So they, they, I figure 10 and 10 will get it done. I'm not sure if 9 and 11 in the league will. They're going to go right down to the end. They're going to have to go to Chicago and win a game and then pray and hope. That's where they are. Fair analysis. Chicago's a great town. If you have to go win a game somewhere, I think you might as well have to go to Chicago and do it because if you do, then you can celebrate in Chicago. Are you with me? I almost got thrown out of the United Center once there. Oh, I think I might have heard that story 10 or 11 times. It's a great story, though. I think we're going to save 
for your next trip out to Chicago. Yeah, we won't go through that now. But that, that yes, yeah, it is a good story. story. It's one of your it's one of your better stories. You've heard the story, yes, yes. Okay, all right. That's that's what's known in the business as a tease. All right, Dave. That's it. We'll see you next week, Penn State fans. We talked a little Penn State hoops, uh, a little Penn State coaching change, and then we talked a little bit about the playoffs. It's time, Dave. It's time to go walk your dog, and we will see you guys next week. I need a rest. I'll see you. This has been the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live.